Daniel chapter 7, as we now kind of shift gears in the book of Daniel, and it's, uh, it's a lot of information. And sometimes when you come to chapters like this, it, it can be tough, you know, to connect the dots and to make it uh, really applicable. But I guess in a nutshell, as we're looking at prophecy, uh, there are a few things that I think uh, we come away with. And that is that, um, you know, at the end of the day, when all the dust is settled and our life is over and this world is over and this world comes to an end, then Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever and ever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you know. And we're going to see as we go through life and in this world, if the Lord tarries, the world is getting worse. You know, they are getting worse. Things are happening. It's just crazy what we see in our country and then all around the world, how even the church is falling away from a true and deep commitment and love relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, you know, as things get worse and who knows, maybe even things will get worse in your own life. And I don't know what's happening to you emotionally. I don't know what's going on physically or in your family or financially, whatever the case may be. You know, sometimes it seems like things are getting worse, but understand that, you know, one day um, the Lord will come. One day we will pass. One day we'll be home in heaven. And we have to have that hope, Hebrews says, as an anchor to the soul, because without that hope of heaven, without that hope of God who has our our future set, then we lose that anchor. You know, we have to have that certain certainty about the future. And the way that we have that is because, you know, the Lord tells us the way it ends. And it's so cool. You know, I don't know if you guys, um, have you ever like wanted, you know, you're going to watch a movie and you're really excited about it. And then someone comes and tells you the end before you watch it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I hate when that happens. It's, oh, no, don't tell me. They start telling me, no, don't say anything. I don't want to know. Well, they, they, they say, well, you've seen it before. Yeah, but I forgot how it goes. I, I'm really bad. And so, you know, in some things you don't want to know the end, right? But in, in this, we do. You guys, one day we'll be home. You know, there's a lot of questions I have. There's a lot of mistakes that I've made. There's a lot of things and I will continue to make. I don't want to, but but I do. And there's a lot of things that I wish were different. One day, all those wrongs will be made right. One day, every relationship in Christ will be reconciled. I can't wait for that day. One day, the father, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but he's going to put the crown on his son, Jesus, and he will ascend to the throne. And he will rule forever and ever. And we will rule with him. And we, will, we are joint heirs with Christ. One day there will be no more sorrow or pain or, or heartache or sickness or death. You know, one day we'll be home. And so we got to know this. Heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. Not only, you know, just to hang on. But man, while we're here on earth, whatever you do, just man, do not get sidetracked. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't let the enemy lure you away from what God has before you. And you're the only one who can make that decision. Even your spouse can't do that for your kids. You know, your leaders, your pastors, you have to choose to follow the Lord. You know, hook, line and sinker, 100 percent. And that's what God wants for us. I, I always tell people God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. 
The devil will try to come in and just create chaos. And so, you know, in chapters like this, it's good to know um, that God knows uh, from eternity are all his works. As a matter of fact, Acts 15, 18, it says, Known to God from eternity are all his works. So eternity, you go way back before time began, and before God ever flung a star in the sky, he thought of you. Before it all began, he had this big, grand, wonderful, glorious plan. Known to God from eternity are all his works. And so I love what it says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, there's no one like God. There's no one who's able to say all these prophecies and predict all these things with 100% accuracy. I mean, you could read all the other so-called religious book, the Vishnu, the Quran, uh, whatever they might be, you know, the Book of Mormon. And I'll tell you this, every single, none of them prophesy like the Bible prophesies. 25% of it is prophetic because God wants to establish the fact, and you can study these things, that he alone knows the future. He alone is able to prophesy. He alone is on the throne. This is our God. This is the living God. And there's none like him. And when you understand who he is, then you can put your hand in his hand. Then you can give him your heart. Then you can trust him and live your life for him. You see? And that's what we, we, we see now as we study prophecy. And you guys are going to see as we go through our study today that he's going to share four human kingdoms. Then he's going to share kind of like the satanic kingdom, and then he's going to share the heavenly kingdom. And we read in verse 1, it says in chapter 7, in, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And so here in Daniel chapter 7, we actually go back in time. These events described in Daniel chapter 7 actually took place prior to Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6. Here we read of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. And so, you know, I've mentioned to you guys before that studying the book of Daniel, it doesn't follow, uh, follow chronological order. And there's a theological reason for that. And so now he comes to the prophetic section. And, and, he, and we read right here that Daniel had a dream. Now, it was more than a dream. Notice in verse 2, he calls it a vision. And so it's more than a dream. It's also a vision. As a matter of fact, even within that dream or vision, He's able to interact with the angels. And so I don't know for sure. Maybe Daniel didn't know for sure. It almost reminds me of Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I know a man who was in the body, out of the body. I'm not really sure, but he was caught up to the third heaven. Again, I'm not sure what's going on here, but Daniel definitely had this dream. He had this spiritual vision. And he says there in verse 2, he says, And behold, you know, check it out. He said, The four winds of heaven... We're stirring up the great sea. 
And the four winds of heaven, they speak of God just, man, you know, beginning to move, right, in his heavenly sovereignty over this entire planet, the north, the south, the east, and the west, right? And, and as he's blowing and the wind is blowing, God in his sovereignty begins to move and to set people in places and things where he wants them to be. It says that he stirs up the sea there, the great sea. And we know as we studied the Bible that the stirring up of the sea is a stirring up of the mass of humanity. Um, we see in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist comes from the sea. It's the nations of the world. God begins to stir things up. And then we read in verse 3, And then four great beasts came up from the sea. Each was different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And so we now begin to look at what I mentioned to you, the four kingdoms, the four really the only world empires that would exist after Daniel's time, Daniel's time and forward. And so we now read of God with his four winds stirring up the sea. And what ends up happening is these four beasts, these great beasts, they rise up from the sea. And you guys remember when we studied Daniel chapter 2, you find that these things are related. Daniel's vision in chapter 7 parallels what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream Back in Daniel chapter 2, that was about 60 years earlier. We're going to see that a lot of these things are repeated. And remember what I told you in the Bible, when you read the Bible and it's repeated, it's repeated for emphasis. It's repeated because God says, I really want you to know these things. It's repeated so we won't be defeated. We got to know this, right? And so in chapter 2, we saw uh, the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of. And they correspond with what we see here in Daniel chapter 7, the four kingdoms. And we see here, first of all, the lion, and that's Babylon, and that's the head of gold in Daniel 2. We're going to see in verse 5, the bear, and that's Medo-Persia. We're going to see that corresponds with the arms and chest of silver in Daniel 2. And then the leopard in verse 6 is actually the nation of Greece, the empire of Greece, and that's the thighs of brass in Daniel 2. And then we're going to see today the dreadful beast, and that's speaking of the Roman Empire, the legs of iron. And what we're going to see as we go through is eventually the horns and then the little horn, and it represents that final kingdom. And then we see the Antichrist rises, but then Jesus Christ returns, and then Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on earth. Man, I can't wait for that day. Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, just to be under his reign, can you imagine what it's going to be like? You know, when you look at these four kingdoms, it's kind of interesting. Again, looking at Daniel chapter 2, you know, there's this beautiful image. They, they look so glorious, right? When you look at the kingdoms from man's eyes, it looks so glorious. But when God looks at these kingdoms, he identifies them as beasts. I mean, these things are, are vicious and terrible, you know, Warren Wiersbe said, man views human kingdoms as valuable metals, but God sees them as vicious animals that fight and devour each other. Human history will culminate in a worldwide kingdom under a satanic world ruler, the Antichrist, who will defy God. But then eventually and inevitably, he will be defeated by God's son. And so we haven't seen it yet. God has. We know how it ends. 
And we're going to see as we go through here how God, it's amazing to me. Remember, the book of Daniel was written about 600 B.C. Okay, so this is before all these nations rose, with the exception of the Babylonian kingdom. We read of them in verse 4, and the Babylonian kingdom uh, was in power from 605 B.C. all the way to 539 B.C. And here they're identified as a lion, you know, and it's interesting that the Babylonian kingdom is compared to a lion in the Bible frequently. For example, Jeremiah 4, verse 7, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 44. And then it's also there with the wings of an eagle, right? And you can read about Babylon identified with an eagle in Ezekiel 17, verse 3, and verse 11, and verse 12. And so, you know, there's that, there's that clarity in the Bible regarding Babylon being this lion with wings, and the interesting thing is if you study ancient history and archaeology, you'll find that the images of lions with eagle's wings were popular in Babylon and can be found on ancient Babylonian architecture and currency. And so, you know, the first one, maybe it's a little easier, right? Because that's what Daniel lived in. But it's also interesting to me. Notice the end of verse 4. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on the feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, this is interesting. You know, he talks about Babylon. Now, we're going to see as he talks about these kingdoms, he talks about their rulers simultaneously. And he says, you know, it's kind of kind of a trip. He says, I was watching. And you're going to see Daniel the whole time. He's watching. He's watching. He's watching. And then he sees until the, the wings were taken off, and then it kind of stood up, and the next thing you know... The beast became a man. And you're like, well, what's that all about? And the interesting thing is if you go over to Daniel 4, and you guys remember we studied that, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler of Babylon, remember how God humbled him? He thought he was so great. Oh, look at this you know, empire that I've built. And then it was at that moment, the words barely came out of his mouth and God humbled him. And he was literally like a beast. Think about it. His, you guys ever seen the nails when they get really long, they start getting all you know, curly. And he was out there and he was eating grass like a beast until one day he finally realized that God is God, that he's not God, that God made him, that he's a creature and that Daniel's God is the living God, the Lord God. And when he realized that, he came to his senses. And the man who was once a beast became a believer. You know, and I was thinking about that. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool, Lord, the way that you put that little detail in there. Because I know for us, maybe you know somebody. And, you know, really the only word you can think to describe of them is they're a beast, man. <laughs> You know, they're so bad. I mean, you just, who's the, I mean, you know, you think of the worst person you can think of. Maybe it's somebody you don't know, somebody you read about on the news, you read about in the newspaper or whatever, and you just think they're just so bad. They are not too bad for God. God can take the worst beast and give him a heart like Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, we got to know that. Don't give up on people. Don't stop praying for people. Don't start living as an example and a witness to people because it doesn't matter how much of a beast they are. God can save them. You know, and who knows? Also, me, my, we can even say this. Maybe you're here today, you know, and, and you were a beast. 
How many of you were beasts before you were Christians? <laughs> you were so bad. You were so bad. And God now has changed you. You're not the same person. You should not be the same scandalous person that you used to be. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like that. You know, I don't know. I don't know just in case. You know, maybe all of you here are Christians. But there might be someone. And sometimes, you know, people come into a church and they feel like unworthy. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're so bad that God would never accept them. I've talked to people who say, you know what, I won't go to church because if I do, you know, the building's going to fall or something, man, because God will be so mad at me. And I just tell you what, that's a lie from the devil. God wants you to come. Just come as you are. We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. You come with all your addictions, all your problems, all your questions. But you come to the Lord and God will take you and God will take us and he will change us. You can't change yourself. Anyways, here we see uh, Babylon and tucked away in there is such a neat lesson from Nebuchadnezzar, who was a beast and he became a man. I, I think of one of my favorite movies. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah? My wife always messes around uh, on that, and she says she's the beauty and, you know, I'm the beast. And I, and I try to tell her, I say, hey, but then he became a prince, remember? And you guys remember? He was good looking, huh? <laughs> After, I mean, he just, God did a great work. So, hey, God is able, Amen. Amen. Look at the second beast that's mentioned in verse 5. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Rise and devour much flesh. And so the next kingdom, when you study history, and it's interesting how it's all prophesied here, is we read about the Medo-Persian kingdom, which was in power. And again, these are world dominions, okay? In uh, 539 B.C., they rose to power, and they were in power all the way through 332 B.C. Now, it's mentioned here that the bear was raised on one side, which uh, most scholars across the board believe illustrates the dominance of the Persian Empire over the Median Empire, Media Empire. So, you know, they're conjoined, but one is a little bit more stronger than the other. And it's interesting that it mentions that it has three ribs in its mouth, right? And again, most scholars across the board believe it represents the three major empires that Medo-Persia conquered, which is Babylon, which is uh, Egypt, and which is Lydia. And so in those days, they conquered them. And it says right here, and they, did, they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. And you're going to find as you study this nation, although there were times where sometimes it was a peaceful transition of power, generally speaking, you know, a lot of people died. Not only that, Medo-Persia really expanded. I mean, we're talking about world empires. I mean, you think of Egypt, and yeah, they had a, a small uh, portion of land. And then you think of, uh, of Babylon. But then when you begin now to get into Medo-Persia and then eventually Rome, you're going to see that they expanded. They really did get bigger and bigger. For example, we have a, a picture here, I'm pretty sure, of uh, the Persian Empire. 
And you'll notice, I don't know if you can see the, the small tan part, the, the brown, uh, that's the Babylonian Empire, which was a great empire, but notice how small they are in comparison to the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's why when we read the Bible, it says, Arise and, and devour much flesh. You see, man, the way that these kingdoms began to grow and to expand, they definitely <laughs> devoured much flesh. And remember, this is written before they rose to power. It's interesting, fascinating in verse 6. Look at verse 6. After this, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now remember, this is written 600 B.C. This is written way before the Medo-Persian rose, especially before the Grecian Empire. And what this beast right here is described as a leopard with four wings. Now, when you study history, uh, we see that the Greeks were in power from 332 B.C. all the way to 63 B.C. And when you think of a leopard, um, one of the things that you'll think of is it's fast, right? And if you think of a leopard with four wings, and so this, this cat is just, you know, it's covering, you know, it's covering ground, and a lot of people, scholars, believe that what that represents is the way that the Greek Empire just just flew across the world and conquered the world. At the age of 20, Alexander the Great set out. His ambition was to conquer the whole wide world. And he did it in 11 years. And, you know, you may think, well, that's that's not, you know, that's not quick. It is without planes, trains, and automobiles, man. It is without missiles. It is amazing the way that this young man swiftly conquered the world. And what we see right here is, is Daniel is, is prophesying about the nation of Greece. And we're going to see more details as we continue to study through the book of Daniel about Greece. But the interesting thing about it is that he mentions right here that uh, this leopard, it had four wings, and it also had four heads. Now, Alexander the Great, he set out at the age of 20 to conquer the world. He conquered it about the age of 31, some say maybe 33. But at the age of 33, he suddenly died. And he had no, no one, he didn't make any plans, you know, to leave the empire to anyone else. And so for 40 years, his four generals, they fought. And they fought and they fought until finally what they did was they divided the land under the leadership in four regions of the four generals. And God knew. And God said, hey, there's, there's four wings, there's, there's four heads. And God said, I want you to know that I know everything about the future. I want you to know who I am. Now, not only do I, like, know everything about the future, I'm sovereign. And I'm in control, and I sit on the throne. Do you know that? And I tell you that, I tell you what, you know, one of the things about Daniel that is emphasized is prayer. Prayer. When you know that God sits on the throne, you will pray. Because on that throne, and we're going to see a beautiful picture of it today, on the throne, he makes his decisions. You're going to see that as God just sits on his throne, and then he hears your prayer over there, and your prayer rises to him, and then he makes a judgment on your behalf. And then history changes. 
God is over the whole wide world. But God is not only over populations. He's over people like you and me. And I just, when I read about the details of these things and, you know, this this bear, that one on its side, one stronger than the other. He's got three ribs in his teeth. Uh, the leopard with the four wings and the four heads and how that all coincides with what happened with Greece. And then in verse 7, it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the horns, first horns, were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words." And so Daniel mentions the, the nations, the, the worldwide dominions um, from his point forward, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then uh, the rise of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire rose to power in 63 BC, and uh, they actually had dominion uh, pretty much until the year AD 476, right around that time. Now, the fourth beast is not described with any, like, animalistic descriptions. It is described as dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, with huge iron teeth. Can you guys picture that? This whatever big animal with huge iron teeth, okay? Devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue. And that's exactly what happened when Rome rose to power. Uh, They ruled the whole world with an iron fist. And God knew it, right? See, but what ended up happening is that, um, you know, you guys, if you study a little bit of history, I, I know a lot of you here were like me. When you studied history in school, you, f- you, you, you cheated, right? You cheated. You're like, I don't really remember a whole lot, but I know you know, I know you know some of the basics, right? And when Rome was in power, what, what, what other kingdom rose to power? What what spiritual kingdom rose to power? Christians, right? You guys know that, right? All of a sudden, the Christians rose to power, and in one sense, not in a political sense, but in a spiritual, you know, sense, in that we were salt on the earth and we were lights in the darkness. And it's kind of interesting that in the middle of the Roman realm, here comes a church, and it's almost like, almost like, not completely, because we had many mistakes and we had our ups and downs throughout church history, but the church has always had a remnant and they've always had an influence, right? Uh, But it was almost like they put the kingdom of Rome on pause. Almost like that, right? But what we find, you guys, is happening now is that the church is getting weaker. The church is not committed like the New Testament church. Today what we find is you go down the street and they're more interested in experiences than they are the Word of God. You know, and they want to do all these weird things rather than study the Bible. And so what we find is that the church is carnal. You know, when we think of the world that we live in, I think we think of America as the Christian nation, right? That's what they think anyways. But are we? We're not. I mean, we are so caught up in things. 
we have our agenda. We have the enemy has just, man, he has done such a, a good, bad job in distracting us from what really is important. And we're so caught up in the American dream and the possessions and the materialism and just being busy rather than being focused. And so now as the church, and I pray that that's not true of this congregation, and I pray it's not true of you. It doesn't have to be true of you. It doesn't have to be true of us. We can be strong in the Lord. We can be focused on Christ. But as the church as a whole weakens, then the Roman Empire, it kind of comes back. It's revived. And as a matter of fact, it comes back like with a vengeance. And we see here it comes back with the devil. You know, um, it, it mentions right here the ten horns, right? And, and that's symbolic of a group of nations. And then what ends up happening is uh, within those ten horns, there's one that kind of rises to power. And we know, of course, that, well, most of us do, but just in case you don't, this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will rise to power. And what this is speaking of is the revived uh, Roman Empire. It's the European Union. You know, and I remember when I first got saved back in 1989, there was already, you know, little talks about it. The European Union actually began to form after World War II, um, but as time has progressed, little by little, they've become stronger. They've grown in the nations that are involved. Now there's 28 nations. They then began to unite, you know, politically and economically, and they have their common currency. Now the euro dollar. They even have a common uh, uh, force in the military, and uh, their euro dollar is stronger than ours. And what we find there now in Europe, which is definitely turning their backs on God, that from them, we, we see the beginning stages of it, from them, the Antichrist will rise. And this is the horn that we read of right here. Notice it says he has eyes of a man, it says in verse 8, and he speaks uh, pompous words. And so this Antichrist, he has eyes to rise. And he has a, a, a mouth. And he has a mouth and this guy can speak really good. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, anything specific, but I tell you what, I've seen now what it takes to be a, the, a political leader. It doesn't take character anymore. It doesn't take integrity anymore. It doesn't take, you know, this is the man for the job anymore. What does it take nowadays to be the, the president? It takes to, you just got to be a good talker. And if you're a good talker you could do a good speech then you woo the crowds and you rise to power and that's exactly what the antichrist will do speaking pompous words speaking blasphemous words he's the antichrist he's against christ he's here wanting to take the place of christ and what we find you guys is that's where we're headed and a lot of people they they try to look for the antichrist they're saying hey is this guy over here you know and we don't have to look for the Antichrist. I mean, he, he's probably alive today somewhere. He probably is. Because I'll tell you what, Jesus is coming. He's right around the corner. And if you're not ready, you're going to get left behind. And let me tell you something. In Second Thessalonians, it says that they're going to get sent a strong delusion. 
Don't say, well, I'll, I'll accept the Lord, you know, later during the tribulation period. Don't say that. Because if you can't live for the Lord now, what makes you think you're going to be able to die for him then? Today is the day of salvation. And if you don't take that call and answer that call, you're going to be left behind. The, the Lord is coming. Things are getting worse. Evil is prevailing. And we see it all just beginning to happen. Seriously, come on, be honest. What's going to happen to this country in 10 years? I mean, things are rapidly digressing. We see it. And what we see is God says, hey, this is kind of the way that I was saying it's always been. You know, there's going to be the ten horns. And uh, it's interesting. Ten horns are mentioned only one other time in the Bible. Uh, the book of Revelation has is the only other book that mentions the ten horns. But there in Revelation is found six times. In Revelation 12, verse 3. Revelation 13, 1. And then four times in Revelation 17. So you go... And I tell you what, if you read Revelation 13, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, you read them side by side, you're going to begin to see all these things unfold, and it's going to make sense to you. You know, what we have is the context of the Antichrist. And horns in the Bible, they represent rulers. Um, They represent royal, powerful rulers. Since animals defend themselves with their horns, the horns to the Hebrews and other nations was considered to be a symbol of strength and courage. But here's the thing. You know, these guys got power. They've got strength. Whose strength? Who's empowering these guys? And why do they have courage? What's their courage for? You see, Jesus is said to have this horn of salvation. But his power is from God and his purpose is for God. These ten horns and this little horn, their power is from the devil. Right? We read that in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 12, how the dragon gave them his authority. Right? And they are there for his purposes as well. You know, something real fascinating over in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So that's in Revelation, okay? Where have you read that before? Where have you read about these animals before? You're like, hey, I just read them, right? Unless you're sleeping. Wake up, okay? <laughs> the, hey, I just read about these animals. But, you know, um, when Daniel talks about it, he talks first the lion, then the bear, then the leopard. Now when John talks about it, he says first the leopard and then the bear and then the lion. And why is that? Well, it's because Daniel's looking forward and then John is looking back, Right? And it's interesting to me when you read it right there, it says his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him, there it is, his power, his throne and great authority. And so what we find, you guys, in reading this is amazing to me and that there's a lot to say, but I I don't want to go over uh, today because people are getting mad at me. And I know you get hungry, but, you know, we're going to go through Daniel and and you're going to if you know the book of Daniel, then you'll have the key that unlocks prophecy. And some things are repeated. And I think as we go through by the time we're done in chapter 12, you're going to have a good understanding of how all these things work. Right. Um, But all we know now, we've got the four kingdoms of men. We've got the, the kingdom of Satan rising out of the revived Roman Empire. We're going to be raptured out of here before that happens. Right. 
And then what we find is that the kingdom of God is then set up. You know, it, it doesn't end with the devil. You know, and and in and, and some of your lives, and I know some of your situations, you know, things are like in limbo. And things are, even if I could say this, almost like a bad limbo. You know, and, and this cloud is hanging over your head or this situation in your life is just is just not right. And the devil is having his day. But his day will end. His day will end. And we got to know that. You know, I love what we read next. Look what it says in verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. You see, and I, and I know you guys probably already knew this, but it's just always good to have a, a real fresh reminder that it doesn't end with the domination or dominion of the devil. It doesn't end with uh, the marks or majesties of man. It ends with God setting up his seat, his throne, his court, and God ruling over his people. Here we see in verse 9 the vision of the Father, the position of the Father. Notice again there, watch till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. And so, you know, um, this is the Father. The Ancient of Days refers to the fact that He is uh, without time. He's eternal. You know, and this is a rare occurrence uh, to read of the Father with any type of form. Okay, when you guys, when we go to heaven, are you going to be able to see Jesus? You will, huh? Because he has taken on a body. And when you, will you be able to see the Holy Spirit? Not sure. Will you be able to see the Father? Is he invisible? Uh, I don't know. I don't know for sure. But it's interesting here how he does have a head and he does have hair and he has a garment. And again, I don't know. Some will say, no, it's not. It's not literal uh, so we don't know for sure um, if it's not literal then I do know this that the white garments and the pure white wool hair speak of his absolute holiness his absolute purity you know and then he's got this throne think about it man it's not made of wood ivory or gold I mean it's made of fire that's kind of interesting this uh, throne was a fiery flame and then he's got these wheels, uh, they're a burning fire, and then a fiery stream issued from that throne. And obviously the fire is speaking of his, his judgment, his judgment, right? And as he's there, you guys see this? Uh, if you go over to verse 26, 
I want to give you a, a, a preview because, you know, it's kind of interesting how the angel does kind of interpret it. Look at verse 26. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion. Speaking of the devil to consume and destroy it forever. So the the court that's seated back in verse 10 is what we see the court seated to end the dominion of the devil. Now, if you see these thousands right here before the throne, you go over to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, and that's a parallel passage. All these people before the throne. And so what ends up happening is the Father sits on the throne and he makes a decision. Devil, be gone. Devil, you're done. Beast, you're slain. And when we read the book of Revelation chapter 20, they're cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. You know, and I like that, you know, because as I was reading this, I was just thinking about our own lives. And as we pray, and the Father is seated on his throne, then he makes decisions, you know? And what we want to do is we want to pray, we want to live, we want to cry out to God and fast and seek him in such a way that those decisions will be decreed on our behalf and for his glory. And so we read right here in verse 11 that, you know, this uh, Antichrist is slain and destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And then in verse 12, he says, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar died, when the leader of Medo-Persia died, when the leader of Greece died, they had their dominion taken away, but they were not immediately judged. They were put in either Abraham's bosom or, you know, the center of the earth, according to Luke 16, Hades, temporarily speaking. And then eventually they would stand before God, but not the beast. The beast went into the lake of fire immediately. So did the devil after the thousand years of millennial reign. Look at verse 13. He says, I was watching. And again, Daniel's been watching this whole thing in the night visions. And behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. And so here's Jesus. He comes to the father and they brought him near before him. And to him, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, and that's the one that we look forward to. And I remember one time, um, there was a, 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 lot, a bunch of young adults, and they were actually talking with Pastor Raw. I was there, and... And they were asking him a question. They said, you know, I don't get it. They said, I'm trying to serve the Lord. You know, I'm trying to be so different than my friends. And I, I've given my life to Christ. And it seems like, like, almost like they're having a better life than me. It almost seems that way. You know, and I'm going through all these trials and and it's hard, you know, and I'm trying to serve the Lord. And and I remember the, the, just the wisdom that God gave Raul. He just said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. I, I'm not going to say that you're going to get healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. I'm not going to say that every relationship is going to get mended and 
you know, the troubles will be ended. I can't say that on this side of time. I don't know. But I do know this. One day, my Jesus will sit on his throne and they will put the crown on his head and the devil will be cast into the lake of fire and we will be home forever and ever. See, and Daniel, in writing this, you know, while the children of Israel are captive in Babylon, you know, Daniel writing this to the saints who are back in Jerusalem, he wanted to encourage them through the difficult times. And he wanted them and he wanted us to know that. You know, and so as he's writing, this is heavy. This is overwhelming for him, especially the devil part. Because look at verse 15. He says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. And so, like I said earlier, it was a dream, it was a vision. Somehow he was able to interact within that. That's kind of cool, huh? <laughs> and so he's probably talking to an angel. And we know later he'll talk to Gabriel, the angel. And he just says, you know, those great beasts, which are four, four kings, which arise out of the earth, but the saint of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom for how long? Forever, even forever. Amen. So he wants them to know that, right? The saints uh, in the context of Daniel might refer to the Jews. The saints in the context of the Bible refer to all believers. Some people believe even the saints in this context refer to those who are living during the time of the tribulation. I, again, we don't know, but we do know one day we will receive a kingdom. Okay, we, we, Jesus will give it to us. It's going to be so cool. But the thing that really bugged him, that bothered Daniel, and, and all these things, it's interesting to me, was the Antichrist. You know, that was just so evil, so dark. And he wanted to know, in verse 19, I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with his teeth of iron and his nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet and the ten horns that were on his head and the other horn, which came up before which three fell, namely that horn, which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. He said, I, I, was, I want, wanted to know about that. I was, I was watching, Daniel said, and, and the same Horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And sometimes it almost feels like that. We know that contextually speaking, this is the Jews during the tribulation period. Did you know that, you know, what's going to happen is the Antichrist will rise to power. And then if you read in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he's going to somehow ratify an agreement. He's going to make peace in the Middle East. Now think about that. That's pretty amazing, right? And part of that peace is he's going to allow the Jews, he's going to work out a covenant so that they can rebuild their temple. Now, did you guys know that if you go over to Jerusalem today and you just go to the Temple Institute, they are ready, they are pushing, they are longing for their temple to be rebuilt. I mean, everything is, is there. We're on the edge of this whole thing, right? And so, you know, when he does that, we're going to see the tribulation period begins, we get raptured out. 
And then for the first three and a half years, it's going to seem like hunky-dory, like this guy really is the answer to all our problems. But then three and a half years into it, it's called Jacob's Trouble. It's the Great Tribulation. He will go into that temple. He will say that he is God. He will desecrate the temple. And it's at that point that he will turn on the Jews. And the Jews who have gone through so much in world history, two-thirds of them will die. Two-thirds. But a third will be spared. And that's what he's speaking about right here with this Antichrist. He makes war against the saints and prevails against them until the Ancient of Days comes and the judgment is made in favor of the saints. You know, and this is a quick side note. Sometimes it seems like the enemy is prevailing against us. And it kind of seems like that for a season, but he's not. You just wait. <laughs> One day the judgment is made on, on your behalf, right? And, and then the time will come for the saints to possess the kingdom. And so he goes on to explain, and let me just read through this. The fourth beast, he shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, different from all other kingdoms, devouring the whole earth. Trample it and break it in pieces. And the ten horns, as we read earlier, are ten kings who shall arise from this revived Roman Empire and another shall rise after them. He shall be different. This is the Antichrist subduing three kings. Again, he speaks pompous words against the Most High and he persecutes the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change uh, times and law and then the saints shall be given into his hand, again, for a time and times and half a time. Now, it's really interesting to me, you guys. Um, when you read this right here, what you find is that a time and a times and a half a time is referenced to three and a half years. A time is one year, a times is plural, two years, and then a half a time is then a half a year. And what we find is that that's in reference to the three and a half years. And again, if you cross-reference Revelation 12, 13, and 14, and Revelation 12, verse 6, it says this, you guys, in Revelation 12, and 13, and 14, that when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, the woman is not Mary. Okay, the woman is Israel. He persecutes the, the nation of Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished. And here it is again for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And in Revelation 12, verse 6, and we put these two together, it says the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed on her there 1,200 and 60 days, which the Jews see the years as 360 days. And so it's 360 days, three and a half. It's amazing how it all works out. As a matter of fact, here's something interesting. You can know the very day that Jesus is coming back after the tribulation period simply by calculating the day that the sign of the agreement is, is, is signed. Okay, so if you're here today and you don't want to be a Christian, you're like, I'm not interested. Okay, you're going to get left behind. Okay, I'm just telling you right now, okay? Okay, now here's the thing that you can do, okay? <laughs> okay, when you read in the newspaper that they signed the agreement to um, bring peace in Israel and rebuild the temple, you can count seven years using the Jewish calendar, 360 days per year, 
and then you will know the exact day that Jesus is coming back after the tribulation period. That's how we know that we're getting raptured prior to the tribulation period because Jesus said on that day, no one knows the day or the hour. That could happen at any moment, the rapture of the church. And so if you're here and you get left behind, you know what? Um, you, you can kind of do it that way. Um, you're probably going to be in big trouble. My encouragement to you is don't get left behind, man. Why would you say no to Christ? What do you have better, what do you have better than Jesus? What do you got? Oh, my drugs. Better than Jesus? They're, just, they're thrashing your body just to let you know. You know, well, I like to drink. I like to have sex. That's not love. That's not love. That's lust. Why not wait for the one that God made for you? My encouragement to you is to know that the Lord has made it clear. You know, he knows the future and he has a future for us. It's this place called heaven. And so we read in verse 26 that the door, the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. And then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Isn't that going to be so cool, you guys? Oh, man, I can't wait for that day where I can eat as much pizza as I want and I won't gain weight. Oh, man, where I'll fly. Uh, no more deodorant or dental floss. I'll be taller. I won't have gray hair anymore. Because people always bag on me when they see pictures of me when I was younger with black hair. They say, what happened? <laughs> you know, one day we'll be home. The Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. We know we live forever. The question is where? You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? Then you've got to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You want to go to hell? You don't have to do anything. Right? You just keep doing what you're doing. My prayer is that you would choose life that you would choose christ in verse 28 he said this is the end of the account as for me daniel my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed <laughs> but i kept the matter in my heart these things were so overwhelming for him he didn't know what they all meant but the lord took him through all that so that we would benefit from it and so i pray that today we would benefit from it if you're a christian here today it's time just to absolutely surrender absolutely to the love that God has for you. My prayer is that no more woulda, coulda, shouldas, no more reservations, no more hesitations. Just full on in love with the Lord, enjoying Him and exalting Him. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I pray that today you would give your life to Christ, knowing that He died for you, He was put in a grave, and He rose again. Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is receive him, repent of your sins, and receive him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so I pray that today you would believe in Jesus. I pray that today you would receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the power of your gospel, Lord. I pray 
for that everyone here would know how much you love them. And this church, Lord, it's like a huddle. And we come together so that then we can go out and tell others about you. So make us strong. Help us not just to come together and then, you know, go and, and sit on the sideline. Help us to come together in this holy huddle and then go out and to execute. Execute the plans that you have for our life. Lord Jesus, thank you. Because I know, Lord, before that crown, you had a cross. You died for me. And I pray that everyone here would know that's the way it works. They would know who you are and how much you love them. And then, and I think only then, will we be able to uh, take up our cross so that one day, hopefully, we can get our crown and then cast them at your feet. Bless your beautiful people here today, Lord. Protect them. Show us how to connect the dots and to make decisions in our life that would reflect a love relationship with you. I pray, Lord, give us wisdom and give us strength. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is so good, huh? He's so good. This is-